Hi there, and welcome to episode 181 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the flesh stretching. This week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Insurrection on your Saddle Up, Lock and Load podcast. what he said why are you giving me that look dear dear podcast listeners obviously this is an audio thing so just to bring you up to speed i can't roll my eyes hard enough at that line i I mean (laughs) there are a lot of lines that are pretty cringy in this one he doesn't even need a line like that it would have been much better to have a sort of straight moment of him sort of explaining the whole situation it's kind of funny how seriously he's taking it Mm -hmm. but no they give him the line saddle up which would work on its own. And they give him the line, lock and load, which would work on its own. But he says them both in sequence. And it makes no sense. Why would you say saddle up, lock and load? <laughs> it just doesn't work. It's too much. It's too silly. Why is Brent Spiner so high on the credit list for this film? Why don't you tell us how you really feel about this movie, Matthew? <laughs> it's, it's such a weird dichotomy to this film. This is This is the one that breaks all the rules. Okay. So when you say it breaks all the rules, like what rules does it break? Um, so the good one, bad one, good one, bad one. This is where it starts oh, completely okay. falling down because technically this is supposed to be a bad one. And the first half of this is really good. It's really mm-hmm. solid. This is as, almost as good as, if not as good as, some of the good stuff they do in the Kelvin timeline stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and not too dissimilar from it. So awesome. And then the second half, it just falls apart. And I'm hoping over the next however long this podcast is, I don't know why. I, I, it just, it falls into every trap of 1998 movies mm-hmm. and doesn't work. Yeah, I think the basis for this movie was fantastic. The storyline, like the just baseline plot of mm-hmm. the movie is fantastic. And mm. that is like super Star Trek. And because we've also been. And maybe I'm confusing because I, you know, watched Discovery recently and there's like lots of Star Trek going on now. But there's been a lot recently that that I've seen kind of in the Star Trek world that's been Picard or someone like that standing for the ideals of the Federation Mm -hmm. having to stand against the Federation Mm -hmm. because the Federation is moving away Mm -hmm. from that. And we get that in full force here. Yes. Which I think is lovely because, I mean, Picard is the one to do that, right? Like, that's the driving force behind the whole show, Picard, is that he did that. Therefore, he's no longer, spoiler alert, (laughs) in Starfleet. (laughs) Because he stood up for his ideals. So, yeah, it's fantastic. But they tried too hard to check the boxes. They tried way too hard to make it funny. Like, Mm. to the point where instead of quippy one-liners, we get just silliness. Yeah. Like... Saddle up, lock and load. The whole thing about the zit on Worf's face didn't need. We didn't need that. We we didn't, didn't need, need it. But I can stand. Okay, uh, we're going way like into the thing. What are your thoughts on it? What if, what is your feeling? Because I'm I'm well geared up because I've been thinking about this film for mm-hmm. years now. Twenty years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a long damn time. 
So, I mean, I liked it, but I'm always going to like something that takes place in this world, okay. particularly when it's got my captain. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah, and yeah, Picard yeah. is my captain. Mm-hmm. I did find parts of it odd. Like, I didn't understand Deanna and Riker being so touchy-feely throughout the whole thing. Like, okay. I knew they were starting to, like, be flirty with each other again, but they weren't, like, an item item yet at the end of the last one, were they? Nope. Nope. Not at all. And so, like, we come into this one and they just kind of are. Mm-hmm. You know, but you can tell that it's new because she had never kissed him with a beard and he's had a beard for a really long time, right? Yeah. Things like that. And then they reveal at the end that they were having these feelings because of the effects of the planet. Like, mm-hmm. it was amplifying what they had. And I feel like if that had been explained earlier on, it would have made more sense and wouldn't have felt like it was just out of left field. Okay. Because I was like, what? Like, I love it, but why? <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so little things like that um, could have been done better. And again, with the humor, some of it was just too much. But the the overall story that they were trying to tell with the Baku and the Federation and the Sona, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Mm. It, it's really good solid. You, you were saying about the stuff from Picard and him defending the principles of the Federation against what the Federation Starfleet are actually doing. I mean, that's a good chunk of the next gen as well. You know, this, yeah. this is not a new Star Trek story, and particularly not for this crew. So that's fine. I, I have a big problem with this film, because, and, and you touching on the humour is a right thing. Like, a really good point. And I, I thought it might be the introduction of new aliens... I, th- I think the thing with the, I'm going to say the sonar, the evil mm-hmm. aliens. Yeah, okay. Um, been thinking about it a long time. No idea what anyone's name is. <laughs> so. I know one character's name, Donna Murphy's character. Okay. Adige. But no, so, so the sonar, I thought it was them. I thought it, uh, and part of that is the execution of them. That they're having these treatments done to them to keep them looking younger and younger it's you know the sort of thing you write when you live in los angeles for a long time i suspect moisturize me moisturize oh that that reference goes right over your head doesn't it what's that from oh my gosh it's a doctor who reference okay um oh that's, the, care- that's the skin thing isn't it the skin the, yeah the- she has had so many procedures done she's no longer a person she's a flap of skin with right. a face Okay. Which is essentially what the Sona are trying to do. But they don't look young and beautiful. I mean, we know what people who have lots of cosmetic surgery look like. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we know how that starts tending towards a very specific look, which, you know, and fine, they're they're not necessarily going in that direction with that specific look. But they don't look young through flesh stretching. They look alien and weird. Right. And I feel like that's... A, a giant misstep of like these beautiful people, but it turns out it's constant surgeries and the surgeries mm-hmm. are causing these toxins and so on and so forth. I can't think of another way though that they could have done it and still had the twist that they were actually Baku well, who left mm. and still continued to seek that continuous revitalization. Mm. Right? Like, I like that twist. I think it's wonderful, but you're right. It, doesn't necessarily make sense the way it was executed. Uh, my question was going to be, do you like the twist? And, and actually, yeah, thinking about it, yes, I do. Yeah, it's quite good. It, when it comes, it's kind of like, oh, okay, we can sort of see where this plot is coming from. So we come to the next big problem with it, which is it's called Star Trek Insurrection. 
Yeah, there yeah, is a civil a war in Starfleet and people are up in arms against each other. No, there's these couple no. of people for about six hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like one side of the Enterprise, you know, the bridge section is fighting the engineering section and over right. their principles, this sort of thing. What they did with civil war. The idea mm-hmm. that, you know, 50% of people do actually think Iron Man's right and 50% of people think Captain America's right. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're doing here. They're just trying to set up like, oh, Picard is going against the Federation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, he's done that before and yeah. he will do it again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bad title mm. for sure. Mm. It's, a very, it's a very strange to sort of theme your film around this is going to be our big kind of plot point and it takes ages to get there and it kind of doesn't mean anything. It's just them fighting for them in the end. Mm-hmm. It becomes sort of Firefly-esque. The, the thing that reminded me most of actually watching this was a Star Wars prequel. It really has. And, and obviously it's from the time it was made and so on. It has a lot of the same sort of action beats. It's sort of fantastical. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, these people go off and explore this thing. And these people go off and explore this thing. It's got that sort of Obi-Wan's over here and Anakin's over here. and Right. Hmm. Because hmm. the exploring the situation, trying to figure out what's happened, again, the, the first half of the film, is good. Working the problem yeah. and trying to figure out the plot here, it's good. It is good. I didn't like Picard. I mean, Picard immediately makes the leap to, oh, they're going to relocate all these people mm. when they find the hollow, the hollow ship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there needed to be a few more steps before he could get there. Okay. That didn't super work okay i mean but he's picard so yeah. maybe it's okay but and we do it then just you know, felt they weird. explain it a bit later so yeah yeah and that's that's the problem with star trek ds9 particularly you can see the plot of the episode really early on usually you can be like oh okay so he's evil and he's swindling them and he's doing this blah 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 and then you're just watching these characters figure it out and it takes a few seasons before like they stop writing that thing Right. So it's quite nice to have a Star Trek. I think this might be why I appreciate like a Star Trek where they're actually clever people doing a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did find it interesting that they have found a way to have Worf back. I mean, because clearly at this point, Worf is on DS9. Well. Right. Which it made sense in the last movie to have Worf come back because he was with the Defiant yeah. when they came to fight the Borg. Mm. Like. There was no reason for him to be here no. for this. This is, but he's Worf. He has to be because it's a TNG movie. Yeah, in in the timeline, this is either during season seven or just after the Dominion War, because the Dominion War is even referenced. Mm-hmm. So I think it, the Dominion War is still going on based yeah. on the way they they talked. So it makes absolutely no sense to have him there, and and he's not necessary to it. Not at all. However, the stuff with. Will and Deanna, the stuff with his pimple, the stuff with Geordie's eyes, I, and even the the moments of Picard dancing and him being able to hear the mm-hmm. thing. That, so there's the moment early on where Beverly even says, oh, the captain used to cut quite quite a rug. And then we see him dancing a bit later. It's like it's setting up this nice thing that are moments of humour that become plot points. Mm-hmm. Proof of what's no, those actually were going fine. on. I, I really like it. I, I actually think it's a very nice way to integrate it. Like all this sort of funny mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Like, oh, it all means something. Oh, clever. Right. You know. Yeah. Mm. But then you get halfway through. You get a bit of speechifying at the Admiral, uh, who was the counsellor from the Matrix films, who did the whole thing okay. about I've been asleep for half my life, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly it becomes generic sort of action, doesn't mean a thing film. 
Yeah. Mm. I think the most, the, the oddest like action movie shot they had was when they showed they're fighting the drones, like five drones show up and they show yes. the five that are stopped just hovering there. Yep. And they take the time to individually show each of the five right? people and then they shoot them. Yeah. Like, no, that, that, this is not that kind of movie, mm. but it was apparently. Robot drones do not wait for you to saddle up, lock and load before you shoot right. them. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. And, and um, particularly because is... the way he's done it, he's sort of got the camera back and he zoomed in to get this sort of panning shot of their faces. Mm-hmm. Except the panning shot of their faces has to go up to Michael Dorn and Brent Spiner, <laughs> down to Marina Sirtis and back up to Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone get her a box. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did like uh, Worf using the gun as a bat because he ran out of... Yes. Jammed or he ran out of ammo. I didn't think you could run out of ammo and like laser phaser things, but you know, he got to use it as a bat to knock yep. the, the drone out of the sky. And then and then Picard and Adige get shot anyway. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what was this all for? <laughs> what did we fight for? Action, man. <laughs> yeah. It just like well if you wanted them up there, just have it that it comes in and captures them. Yeah. Don't waste my time with this. And then you have Captain Picard in a vest crawling around a thing being an action hero at the end. Yeah. I do not need Patrick Stewart as an action hero three films in a row. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, we also didn't need the cave-in. Like, they set that mm. up early on because they focused on that stupid little puppet animal. Yep. So many times. And that, and then I was like, why do they keep closing, like doing close-up shots of this thing? And then as soon as I realized what happened, I was like, oh, the kid's going to go back for it. They're going to have to go back for him. But there were no stakes, right? Yeah. Like, she was a little bit hurt, but they got to her in time, mm. they fixed her, and then they still got captured. Like, so why did we need that moment of essentially false conflict? We well, have the thing of him slowing time down, making the moment last forever so they can come and get them. But again, that's that's magic. That's not yeah. the Star Trek universe. So, um, uh, like... This is what makes it feel like a a Star Wars prequel, because that's a force sort of thing. Right. Mm. Yeah. Definitely not something we're accustomed to seeing. No. And then they didn't actually really explain it either. We're just left to say, oh, it's this mystical stuff that happens because of radiation? Yeah. Yeah. Adisha's ring helps everyone do impressive stuff. Yeah. Who knows? So it's kind of frustrating. And it, yeah. Like I say, it breaks rules that it has this sort of heavily ground-based, we're trudging all these people. Look, you know, it, it now looks like a Lord of the Rings film. Like the, all the stuff in the Two Towers with the Rohirrim. Mm-hmm. People of Rohan. And the weird ending that doesn't... Yeah, they blow up the ship. Well, they always blow up the ship. <laughs> I mean, they did defeat the bad guys, and the Baku got to keep their planet. Mm-hmm. But there's no... There's no guarantee that the Federation isn't still going to try and harness this power. Absolutely. Because we didn't actually get a resolution on that. Mm. We still see it from, as far as we know, from what the Admiral said, the Federation was 100% behind this operation. Yes. Right? Yeah. And Picard is against it, and so he stops it. And eventually, it does look like the Admiral realizes we're in too deep, we can't keep doing this, but it... It wasn't because of the morals of the thing. It was Mm. because of the inconvenience and the resources it was taking. Yeah. He never realized, oh, what they're doing is wrong. And then the Admiral dies. 
And we never actually go back to Starfleet and find out if the Federation yeah. realizes this is wrong. It's, it's which great. we should have. Yes. Yeah, it should have been a, a if it's going to be insurrection, it should have been a much bigger thing. Mm-hmm. It should have pit Starfleet against Starfleet, and it didn't. No, exactly. Like, and, and they even make them into, you know, it's it's robot drone things that we have to shoot because that's sort of more accessible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hmm. I've just got a list of things about this that wind me up. I mean, that's that's what half of this <laughs> is. Like, it's got F. Murray Abraham in it. F. Murray Abraham is a great actor. He does really interesting, deep, dramatic roles. He's Ruafu. But as a villain, he's utterly forgettable. I have to look up who this is, because I don't know. He's in Last Action Hero, if you've ever seen Last Action Hero. Yeah, it's been a while. Okay. He's the partner in that, and I, I say that particularly. F. Murray Abraham won the Oscar for his performance as Salieri in Amadeus. Okay, haven't seen it yet. And one of the greatest lines from cinema is in Last Action Hero, when the boy from the real world goes into the film world and says to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, Jack, whatever his name is, he says, don't trust that guy. He killed Mozart. (laughs) And because he's played by the same actor. That is genius writing. That is really good. Because, yes, he is something of a villain. You know, he is not someone who comes across as very trustworthy for the characters he plays. All right. And, and that's what I always think of him when I see him on film. I'm not sure you would have seen him in anything, I'm afraid. Well, I have seen Finding Forrester, but I don't remember it well enough to place him in it. Okay. And I recognize his face now that I've seen it without alien makeup on it. But yeah, yeah. not familiar enough yeah. with his stuff. Because you look at his recent stuff where he's done Inside Lewin Davis and um, what was the other one I noticed on the list? Grand Budapest Hotel, you know. Big films, but not ones you go to. Right. Correct. Mm. So, like, you've got this Oscar-winning, great actor, got the role without an audition, apparently. Oh, wow. They were like, oh, yes, we can get someone. But, and they've been doing this for a few films in a row, of course. We had Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. And we've had, you know, other, you know, Christopher Lloyd coming in, Ricardo Montalban. You know, we've had big actors coming in and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, who was, who was in number six? Baron... Christopher Plummer, who's in The Sound of Music. Yes, Christopher Plummer is Captain Von Trapp. Captain Von Trapp, Captain Klingon Von Trapp, yes, whatever you yes, call him. Yes, yes, Klingon Von Trapp. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have another great, you know, classical actor coming in and not getting to do very much, which is frustrating. Because at the same time, the other person who doesn't get to do very much is Beverly Crusher. Yeah, no, she does nothing in this. Gates McFadden is treated so badly by the people behind Star Trek. And it's just frustrating because she's really good and it's a good character mm-hmm. but she gets none of this young stuff thing going on you know have it that her natural hair color is growing in or something <laughs> you know something like that yeah i don't uh, i i do wish like she's the uhura i can't say you uhura mm-hmm. of this world right she's just there yeah. to do a quip a one or two liner, so we see her face, and that's it. Yep. Every so often we need a bit of sort of physical or chemical ex- um, exposition. Mm-hmm. Cut the gate. Back to the story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Jordy didn't have a lot in this one either. Like, all we really got from him was setting it up to turn Data off 
and then mm-hmm. the regeneration of his eyes. Oh, we all know Geordie turns day to one. <laughs> In the fanfic. <laughs> we know he does. <laughs> um, I am curious if they are going to let the regeneration of his eyes stand or if it was mm-hmm. temporary just for this movie. I mm-hmm. don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, okay. To be honest with you, genuinely can't remember. Uh, he also got to do the... Um, expelling. Oh God, my vocabulary is terrible tonight. I'm really sorry. <laughs> the getting rid of the warp core. Oh, that's ejecting. right. Ejecting the warp core. He did get to ejecting do that. the warp core and then exploding it, which is him on an office chair with like on wheels sliding across the engineering room and just pressing the button. Yep, yep. Amazing. I, I did enjoy that. I was like, that's funny. I'm not sure I've ever seen that in a Star Trek film, but no, it's just slide across the floor chair. in an office chair. Yeah. Because can you imagine it when they're in like a battle with the Romulans? Yeah, the chairs just and they're hit flying by something. All over and it's the place. all shaking around. Yeah, <laughs> you need stationary chairs screwed into the floor, right? Yeah, and seat belts. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was fun to watch to watch him yes, do that. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was a very good dramatic moment because, uh, and I, I suspect this might have been part of the reason they did it. It is a joke in the Star Trek world, Star Trek fandom of. You can't eject the warp core because the warp core ejection is always offline. It's always offline. Oh. Anytime it's like, warp core's going to ex- explode. Eject the warp core. Warp core ejection system is offline. <laughs> oh, no, we need to <laughs> plug in the USB the other way around and it'll work. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. So certainly in this, because on Voyager, they actually do it two or three times. Like, there's a whole one with the warp core getting stolen once. Yeah. Because have to eject well, it. Well, because I was thinking... Um, I've seen warp cores ejected before. It always weirds me out because then they're stuck lumping along and they can't go to warp speed. So how long is it going to take them to get somewhere where they can get a new one? Go to the nearest. Well, I'd say screw fix. I can't think of a radio shack. Go to the nearest radio shack. There you go. Yeah, we don't really have those anymore either. (laughs) Tool. Uh, What's some sort of home DIY type? I mean, I guess Lowe's or Home Depot. Home Depot. That's a good one. Go to Home Depot. Pick up a new warp core. (laughs) strap it to the top of your truck <laughs> take it back to the enterprise <laughs> i love it i love it okay do you have other bits to, to touch on on it i really don't i mean I, as much as i enjoyed it this is an utterly forgettable movie mm-hmm. mm. Mm. like i'm not sure i even have favorite things to talk about okay because i can now dive into the first half of the film okay let's do it which is good and introduces good characters and good situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the, the everyone spying on the Baku is actually quite creepy. Again, this is you know the time of the X Files. The X Files was the biggest, one of the biggest shows on TV, mm-hmm. and everyone, particularly in the Star Trek world, is trying to re- replicate that. Okay, so there is some of that going on there as well, and abducting people and doing experiments on them, that kind of thing. But I really like the way they show it being done. It is people researching a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just now it's oh, it's Starfleet, and everyone's a bit evil. Yeah. I really wish mm. that they had dove more into the idea that when when data malfunctioned, like Jordy says he reverted back to like his like the moral and ethical standards mm. that he was programmed to, which is why mm. he went against Starfleet. But they didn't dig into that idea and they could have done a lot more with that. Mm. Given they've called it insurrection and it's supposed to be mm-hmm. pitting Starfleet against Starfleet. It was too much of a throwaway line. Yeah. And and so what does that mean? That 
he wasn't fully obeying his ethical and moral subroutines allowing him to be there to abduct these people or is it is it just implied that he didn't know they were being abducted so why did they have data there <laughs> yeah i i don't know it wasn't clear why data was there if he's still a crew mm. member of the enterprise that was completely mm. unclear um yeah. but it sounded like he thought he was just on a normal starfleet mission and so his programming would have allowed him to do that until mm. he malfunctioned and he reverted back to his base, whatever, because he recognized, oh, we're spying on these people and they don't even know we're here. Yeah. Which is why the first thing he did was make them visible. I think, from what you've just said, I've come up with a way to make the film better and make the insurrection work. Okay. If I can pitch it. Okay. And the thing I'm comparing it to is Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Because one of the one of the things that gets them into it in that is that Chekhov has basically been promoted and now has a science position mm-hmm. or a, a you know, better position on the USS Reliant mm-hmm. as part of the Genesis project. What if we did something similar to that? And I'm not sure who it would need to be. I'm not sure it could be Riker. So Geordi's the only one that it sort of occurs to. Geordi is now commander, heading up one of the teams on this thing, designing the ship to transport the Baku. Mm-hmm. Massive engineering projects. They want one of the best engineers in Starfleet to come and do this thing and head it up. And he takes along data with him. His best friend, someone he knows is going to be good at this thing. Mm-hmm. And data, you know, something happens that kicks in the ethical and moral thing. So the Enterprise comes in to help. And Geordi is the one who believes what they're doing is correct. Oh, Wow. And, and you know, is arguing for it and saying, this is what this is going to do. And because of my eyes, oh, this is why it's good for Geordi, because of his eyes, of course. Mm-hmm. They, they make that argument. In. You know, th- this is going to make a huge difference to all the people of the, of the Federation. So it's worthwhile us doing this. And people in the Enterprise don't think it's right. And it starts some sort of conflict thing that we see over the course of the next hour. And Data's in the middle because his moral subroutines have kicked in, but he was clearly doing it already. So right. something happens there. But make it even more personal because they don't explain why data was there and what was going yeah. on. I think mm. to do that, though, they would have to do a lot more explaining of why anybody in Starfleet would think this is a good thing. Right. Because the reasons that he gave were very superficial. Like they didn't dive into it at all. We focused mm. so much more on Picard being against it and, and yeah. focusing on, you know, our history has shown that relocating people is bad. How many people is it before it's okay, before it's not okay, right? Like we focus on that. And the only real reason that we got from Starfleet that they wanted to do this was because by moving 600 people, we can help billions of people. But full stop. There's no, Mm. like, what are we going to do with it once we get it, right? There's no... Mm. Like, do you have an actual agreement with the Sona for how this mm-hmm. power is going to be divvied up? Like, who decides yep. who gets it and how it's used? And is it finite once you take it out of the rings? Like, you know, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. And, and that works well, including some of those arguments. Because mm-hmm. some of those arguments are a little bit kind of what they do in Civil War. And again, not enough in Civil War. The setup is, you know, we don't want to be under government control, but they never get into because the government could ask us to do something we want to do or stop us doing something we do want to do. Right. 
it, it would work well with someone saying this stuff to someone like Geordie and having that argument with him and saying, you know, but we need to, you, you don't know this is going to work and we need to look into it more and try and make it work in, in a different way. And him saying, but it, it will work out, but it is important and we can do this and this is why we need to do this without necessarily all the picture because it means both sides don't have the whole picture. Right. They're not aware of what this healing property is mm-hmm. and how it works and he's not aware of exactly how they're going to use it. Right. But yes, you could also go into detail of it and say, oh, we, we found a way that we can replicate it into a hypo spray and inject it in someone and it heals them of every eel. Mm-hmm. Every eel. Eel? Not, it doesn't heal them of every, every eel. <laughs> I tried to say ailment and ill <laughs> and I end up with heal them of every eel. Heal your eels. All right. This new vapor rub. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's too late for us to be yeah. doing this your words are, are not coming out the way you want them to they're not doing as well are they? no no th- I, th- I think just that thing of making it more personal even even if you end up making it it's data who is doing it because he has weighed the thing up the logic of the situation the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the 600 something like that right. and then get into insurrection's not necessarily the right term for it but it's still sort of mm-hmm. you know, has that starfleet v starfleet thing going yeah on. Yeah, but so we were talking about you know we we quite like the setup for it mm-hmm. and the idea for it and the bringing them in and I do like did you say it was Donna Murphy yes as the love interest yes she's really good mm-hmm. and the character is really good mm-hmm. I agree I I I think certainly when when you look back to the Kirk Star Trek stuff <laughs> when there's a love interest it becomes really obvious think of Gillian Taylor in from Star Trek Four, mm-hmm. the the way all research. And it just becomes so obvious that it's just flirty and they're going to kiss in the end. And, uh, like, we liked it that they didn't end up together. It wasn't a full romantic interest. Right. But it still was, this is how Kirk deals with, with this situation. Mm-hmm. This had much more of a vibe of equals people who want to spend time together without it being a, oh, well, how do you do? I'm right. the captain of the starship. Oh, how do you do? I'm the unmarried woman of a certain age in this village and <laughs> now we're thrown in together oh right. how do you know well and we i mean i like that we didn't get a kiss or anything right like mm-hmm. we got the the moments in time where time slowed Absolutely. down and we knew what mm-hmm. they were symbolizing but we didn't get any of that like voyeuristic look that we get mm-hmm. with all of kirk's right yeah 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 i really like her in, in introduction to the world Mm-hmm. I think it's really well done. And and even the ending where he's like, I've got 380 days of shore leave, so I'm going to take them. It's like, that's lovely. I don't need to see it. Right. I just need to know that it's going to happen. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. I can't wait for her to come back for, um, obviously, the next film. But then in the spin-off series, to see him happily settle down and that this film had such an impact on his life and <laughs> career. And Oh, it would be interesting to see if she pops up in Picard. But, you know, she's not. That'd be awesome, God, though. That, if they're not using Beverly, they're not going to use Fair character enough. from failed movie, are they? Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, okay, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and the really good bit is the setup for the uh, well, the beginning of the movie. Effectively, we have the bit with them spying on the on the village, mm-hmm. and that's all interesting. And then we go to the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is on diplomatic mission after diplomatic mission. We've got a little bit of joking at Captain Picard having to learn phrases, growing out of his uniform as he's growing older. The Wearing you know very short people. <laughs> exactly, it's delightful. Yeah. It's it's the best sort of stuff they were doing in late Next Generation mm-hmm. about life aboard the Enterprise. It is what they then do with certainly the third 
of the Kelvin timeline films. This whole sort of, this is what just a day looks like, what life normally looks mm-hmm. like. And them talking about all these different things they're having to go and do, and they've got to go and do this mission and this mission and why these things are important and so on. And it, it is really nice to get that sense of this is a world that always continues. Right. Things are always just happening. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that the people that in this diplomatic mission with got warped last year, and because of the Dominion War, we're trying to get every ally we can. Why do we want an ally who got warped last year? That it, give me something. Oh, and their planet is rich in dilithium, so we can mine it. Right. Or, oh, I uh, didn't even think about that at all. I just thought it, it's. I thought it was an interesting way to reference current events mm-hmm. current you know quote current at yeah, the time yeah. right because people star trek fans were still watching ds9 at that point and so to, to reference what was happening in the tv world in this movie mm. was fine like I, I liked that they did that and it didn't even occur to me that that's not a great way to do it yeah it, 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 like you said with other things it just needs that one extra line yeah they do it again later i'm not sure if you would notice when they talk about the sona mm-hmm. the evil people the sona and they they say oh they made lots of the narcotic catch yourself white i did catch that that's nice yeah and it's done so subtly that people who won't pick up on it will be like oh narcotic okay they're kind of drug dealers you know or don't trust them or something yeah but in this world it's like oh they were in bed with the dominion they possibly are in bed with the dominion this is this is heavy stuff yeah yeah (laughs) Mm. um definitely set it up for people who are aware of what's happening in star trek to immediately know these people are up to no good yeah absolutely yes that was nice too so it's a real shame the the film starts and, and i was because in my head, this was a disappointing film that I was not sure we should be watching. Okay. But, you know, we're completionists here on BCD. Yes, we so are. <laughs> we're completing the thing. But watching that first half back, I was like, but this is good. Mm-hmm. But I'm enjoying this. This is, you know, and that's funny. The stuff with the pimple. Okay. The the, the scene. Let's, this is, I hadn't even realized this was one of my favorites. But the scene where... <laughs> They've been back on board and he's got the pimple. So fine, there's the thing of Data whispering going, it's a pimple, sir. Oh, well, you can't even really notice it. And then Riker walks in <laughs> and he's shaved. And he makes the comment of smooth as an android's bottom. Mm-hmm. Then you have exposition, exposition, exposition. Update on all, you know, what, all the stuff that's happening in the plot. Then he looks at Worf and goes, God, Klingons never do anything small, do you? Which is great. <laughs> And then the scene, you know, exposition, exposition, because they appear to be going to Captain Picard's quarters altogether. Fine. Um, the scene ends with them all splitting up, but Data wanting to rub Riker's freshly shaved jaw, rubbing it, thinking, and just looking at him with a shake of the head as though, like, no, nah, my ass is smoother, man. <laughs> <laughs> you liked that? It's great. Okay. It's really good because, because it's all in service of the larger thing. Mm-hmm. That they are going through things they went through in their younger days. And then you have the moment of the captain dancing and it suddenly clicks of like, I haven't done this in 40 years. Right. There's a thing going on here. All these different things for people, you know, having experiences in the younger days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes back to Adige and talks to her and oh, they go walking and talking through the night and it's lovely and they can't stop talking and being together. <laughs> it's beautiful. I did like him with her a lot. Mm. 
I think she's my favorite love interest of all the ones that I've seen him with. Yeah, I mean, she's not Bev. Fine, 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 fine. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, I wasn't considering Dr. Crusher on that. <laughs> but talking on love interests, let's go back to the Will and Deanna conversation. Okay. I find it so interesting, as a proper big hardcore Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. that they have never done the story of Will and Deanna. It was always just they used to be together and are no longer together. They never did the episode where it all came out. The episode where they got back together but had to deal with it. They never did ramifications oh. of things. They, they've they hinted at it in moments. Right. They had the, the clone of the younger Riker who sees her and has a thing. Mm-hmm. They have moments where they're abducted together. The moments where she falls to someone or he falls to someone. But they are... It's always that they just have a very close bond. Mm-hmm. They go to each other for advice constantly is, right. is the big thing. And it's really well done. And it's a lovely, it's a great way to show people dealing with relationships in a mature manner in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, that you can be in such a deep relationship with someone, but they never talk about what that relationship was. Right. In the books they do, there are multiple Imzadi books about their relationship together and what happened on Beta Z and why he couldn't stay and so on. Okay. But we've never had that story. Mm-mm. And I don't think it matters. And so this is then my question for you. Does it matter? Do you feel like you're missing something somewhere? Have you just filled it in over the years? I Because th- you know, hearing you say it, like my first instinct is, nah. <laughs> uh-huh. We've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Like we've only ever seen the hints, right? And And we've heard about mm. the history. God, but they've been my OTP for so long that... Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, for me, those two are the couple of Star Trek. Okay. And um, watching them having settled down in Picard and they have a family that's wonderful. And it's what I always knew would happen. And I don't know if, like, my head has just filled in all of the details. Like, have I made fanfic up in my head and I believe it's canon? (laughs) Like, that's entirely possible because I feel like we've seen so much of their relationship. But you're right. We didn't actually see it on screen. Mm. I mean, I know we get their their it's wedding. Great. Yeah. Um, I guess that's going to be at the beginning of Nemesis, right? Or the end? Don't know. Yes, you do. Who can say? Who can say? Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that I have canonized my own personal fanfic of those two. Canonized <laughs> Saint Deanna. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Interesting. Fascinating, yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess what I, they did is the perfect amount. I don't, I don't need anything other than what they gave us because yeah. I created the story myself. And because the story always has been that they had this relationship in their younger days on Beta Z. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of the thing is because she calls him Imzadi in the very first Next Gen episode. In, in her head, she has a bit of narration, which is her sending her thoughts out to him. And we don't know whether he can hear it or not. I've seen it way too often, sorry. Yeah, it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen the early episodes. Once Picard comes aboard, um, he introduces them and she walks down the ramp towards Riker and has this whole thought thing of like, do you remember what I taught you on, it, it, again in her head voiceover, do you remember what I taught you on Beta Z, Imzadi, do you remember the love we shared, something like that. Mm. And then Picard's like, oh, you know each other. Oh, that's good. I'm glad my officers will get along. So it's doing the kind of American series, hinting at big drama relationships. Right. They never go there. <laughs> They're just really close, really good friends. Because yeah. Gene Roddenberry did more one conflict amongst officers. Okay. Boring. 
Sorry. Sorry, Gene. So I like that if we're saying that people are reverting to their younger, you know, what, you know, or things that are happening to them from their younger days and so on, the fact they have this relationship that's been rekindled is quite a nice way to show it Mm -hmm. without it necessarily being, Hey, look, young things are happening. Look, look at these young things. Everyone, young things. It's a very early sign that's very easy because like you, everyone wanted them to be together. Everyone finally wanted this story to happen. Right. So I just wish that. And maybe this is just my own failing because I didn't realize until the, closer to the end of the movie that it was the planet causing mm. those feelings. Because what we had seen from other people, like we see Worf's hair is growing faster. He's got the pimple. <laughs> the captain is noticing that like his chin is a little firmer and he can dance. You know, Beverly and Deanna are talking about their boobs being firmer. Right. So oh, it's, God. it's a I'd lot forgotten. of... Oh, God. <laughs> That okay. That was the line from Data that I hated the most in this movie. Oh, it's awful. It is, Let's come back. It to is it. awful. Finish your thought. But yep, all yep. all of those things are physical, right? And so it didn't mm-hmm. occur to me that this emotional connection that they're having, that there's a regenerative property to that as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's why I was confused mm-hmm. for part of it. Like I enjoyed it. I love watching the two of them together. They have amazing chemistry together. It's fantastic. Right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> But I wish that they had set it up just a little bit better so that by the middle of the movie, we understand this is real. They have feelings for each other, but this isn't really out of left field. There's a reason. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But yeah. There's plenty you could have cut to have done that. Yes. Like, um, I, I, But I, I do love the bit that um, Riker says something about, you know, things changing once we leave the planet and Worf saying your feelings for her are the same as they have always been. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's good that it's Worf because he and Deanna had a relationship in the next gen. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I had forgotten that Beverly <laughs> had anything about being younger and that she has the line, have you noticed our boobs are getting firmer? Not that we care about this in this day and age. Which is fine. Which is Vaguely funny in a we shouldn't talk about this sort of thing and it's embarrassing because mm-hmm. there's a man hearing us. You know, that's a stretch. It was fine and wonderful until they played the joke of Data walking up to Jordy. Was it Jordy or Worf? Worf. Yeah, no, the, I, I didn't find it funny. I found it just utterly silly and eye-rolly. Data's not that dumb. I mean, this is something like 10 years since the start of... Next gen, mm-hmm. at that very minimum. At most, it's like 12, 13 years or yeah. something. He should know so, what boobs are. This, Yeah, this is like season one date. Right. This is him, you know, completely unemotional, not understanding humor, all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But we've now said he has emotions. He's learned. He's grown. He's all of this sort of thing. He gets lines like lock and load, saddle up. Ugh. And now we're saying he doesn't understand women talking about women's things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In inverted commas. They, I mean, they went for the cheap joke. It's awful. Yeah, it is awful. Baffling. Did not like. They did no. that a couple of times with him, and I, I honestly can't remember the other ones, but I just remember, I, I told Joseph, I said, they've gone way too heavy on the humor in this. Mm. Like, if you have to try that hard to be funny, you're doing it wrong. And and it's, it's a shame, because I feel like we're always coming back to data, which might be why I'm looking at, Brent Spiner being in that cast list as oh. I think he might be second listed. It, it might be that Jonathan Frakes comes just before him, but well, but Jonathan Frakes directed it. It mm. was a Jonathan Frakes film. Jonathan Frakes film, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so I'm just 
ah, no, I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it. No. But I, I think that with just a little bit of changes to the script, I think this could have been a great movie. Mm. Like, it didn't need a lot. It just needs a little massage, I think. Or, or to set up the, the theme is different. Mm-hmm. But they wanted it to be insurrection. For whatever reason, they were like, oh, yeah, let's have this. As, and, and this was the vibe of the time, of course, as well. All the all the films coming out, like Mission Impossible, were about people inside your own society going against you and having to f- uncover moles and mm. things. The X-Files was doing a whole thing about the government plotting against its people. And <sighs> they wanted to do it and they failed to do it. Yeah. And it made about $50, 60000000 million over its budget. Mm, yeah, not great. Not great. Not great. It's not getting anyone going back for a second viewing. That's what I'm sure. <laughs> Unless we make you for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Did you have any other favorite favorite moments or did we kind of go over all of the high points for you? Yeah. No, I think we've we've covered all the high points. I can't remember any dialogue particularly. I think, like, I remember laughing at that corridor scene. Mm-hmm being pretty good but then it's um you know very shortly after and and the the speechifying between the admiral and picard is again pretty good because mm-hmm. they're making arguments in both directions mm-hmm. but yeah we've said they're not strong enough necessarily to to really you know make us buy into the insurrection aspect of it right and and i don't believe that picard wouldn't think okay i'm going to use every resource the enterprise to fight them yeah. Well, it's me resigning my commission and going on a one man thing. Well, it's also weird though that our only our only connection to the council, the Federation Council is what the admiral says. Yeah. Like did they didn't check. They just believed him. Mm. You know, it would have been nice to actually see more than one higher up supporting this if yeah. we're really going to yeah. fight it because otherwise it just feels like Picard versus Doggerty? Doctor, yeah. Is that his name? Or, or, or to have the other people on the on the team working on it, mm-hmm. fighting against it, even if it's not someone we've met before. Mm-hmm. And and it could be someone we've met before, because we've met a lot of people in Starfleet, so yeah. bring back one of them who might have dubious morals or, you know, reasons to do it. Don't It doesn't even have to be one of our core cast. Mm-hmm. Make it Ensign Rowe, and she's helping on the team because it will help the Bajoran people heal from the dominion conflict and the Cardassians and so just mm, something yeah fine fine all right i'm making my point again aren't I? you are yeah <laughs> uh the briar patch why is it called the briar patch so that What's will Riker could make that joke what's that or from? i guess not have it it wasn't a joke it was a um i don't know he's trying to be clever so there's um characters that aren't really popular anymore because they're also very racist characters but one of them is called um, Br'er Rabbit and the story that's being referenced is Br'er Rabbit is begging this guy I can't even remember who it is but somebody's trying to catch him and so Br'er Rabbit over and over again says please mister whatever you do don't don't throw me in that briar patch don't throw me in that briar patch over and over again and so the guy is like well I'm going to do what he doesn't want me to do and I'm going to throw him in the briar patch and it turns out that's where he lives so that's where Burr Rabbit right. lives. So the entire time okay. it was this reverse psychology thing. Okay. And so I think they made it the Briar Patch just so Will Riker could make the Briar Rabbit joke. Okay. Uh. Yeah, it's dubious at best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. 
I guess it's like, seemingly I, I uninhabitable, but there is a mm. like a good place. There's a home in the middle of it, or some, you know something. Mm-hmm. But it's a very American story. Clearly, I th- I think I might have conflated it. I'm sure there's like a Peter Rabbit story mm-hmm. of him running away through thorns and it rips his clothes off, and and maybe that is what I conflated with in my head. Mm. But I'm not anyways. as familiar with Peter Rabbit. No, but and Will gets to fly the ship with a joystick. <laughs> Why does he fly the ship with a joystick? <laughs> I didn't catch that. Did you not? Oh, there's... I know there's the scene where he, like, makes the ensign get up and he does some of the driving himself, but I didn't catch a joystick in that. Oh, have I have I conflated the films? Hang on, hang on. Oh, it says it was used in Star Trek Beyond. Yes, no, okay, so Insurrection. Yes, okay. I suddenly thought, did I make up that I saw it in this film or something? Uh, the Enterprise-E had a manual steering column that allows them to manually control the helm functions. Commander Riker utilized the column when performing precise maneuvers inside the briar patch to collect metrion gas mm. with the ship's ram scoops and subsequently release it. Okay. And it is like, it's like the, the one I would have used at the time for playing X-Wing. Mm-hmm. It's just with a big red button on the top of it. It's just a joystick that comes out of the panel. Okay. Yeah, I missed it. Bonkers. Bonkers. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so there is one more film in the Star Trek franchise. Mm. With the original, not, okay, well, before we get to the Kelvin (laughs) timeline, how about that? Yes. (laughs) Before the reboot, there is one more Star Trek film. Star Trek Nemesis. With a young Tom Hardy. Mm. That's all I remember. Uh, And Ron Perlman. Ooh, Ron Perlman's in it, interesting. Mm. Mm. I know I saw it. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I had not seen Star Trek in so long, but when it came out, it was TNG, so I wanted to see it. Right. I don't think I was prepared for it or kind of understood anything about the TNG world before I went into it. Okay. And it's been so long. I only saw it the one time. I right. have no idea what happens in it. I know it okay. is universally panned as the worst of the Star Trek films. And I know that Tom Hardy's character is a clone of Picard. Right. That's all I know. Okay. Oh, and so Data dies. Any plot details. I know that Data dies okay. because okay. that's a huge plot point for Picard. So, <laughs> yes, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know how or why. Like, I have no idea okay. what the conflict is. I don't remember why somebody was trying to clone Picard. Nothing. Okay. So we're gonna have to watch it. Right. Good. 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 <laughs> good. 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 If you keep saying it, you will eventually believe it. Oh, crikey. Um, yeah, that did not make very much money at all by comparison to even the worst performing Star Trek films. Yeah. And that one was in the early 2000s, right? It's like 2000... 2002. 2002, yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. Mm. All right. I mean, you know, Star Trek was not popular at that time anyway. Not a time when the world was particularly looking for optimistic visions of the future. That is a fair assessment. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, so we will we'll come back to that at some point and get that one covered. We will. Okay, so but how come how come you didn't see the other next gen films? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> is this a thing that you wouldn't have been allowed to see? No, my parents. Watched, next gen? My parents watched Star Trek. Um, okay. I'm not sure I was as aware of them early, okay. particularly since, I mean, they all, I would have been very, very young. Like, I watched most of Star Trek in syndication, not on its first right, run. Right, Because I mean, it did yeah, start right, okay. in the late 80s when I was, like, 
five. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I would have watched most of it in syndication. And so I probably wasn't as aware of the movies mm-hmm. as they came out. They would have all been things right. I've, I would have seen later. And then in 2002, I'm practically an adult. Practically. <laughs> a 20 year old in college. Um, probably actually 19, but. You know, I would have seen TNG. Ooh, I like Star Trek. I'm going to go watch that. Right? That's that's where that would have come from. Okay. That's that's all I got. Cool. Yeah, good to know. I, it, it never occurred to me that you would have seen one of them but not the rest. I, and I think we've discussed it, but just why yeah. that difference? I for sure had never seen this one. Right. Like, for sure. The Borg yeah. one I had... Or at least I had seen bits and pieces of it because when I think of the Borg, I think of that Borg queen. Mm-hmm. And as I said in that movie, I didn't realize she was from the movie. I thought she was from the show. Well, and she does come back for the show as well. So okay, you would have seen her on Voyager and doing stuff there. Ah, hmm. okay, okay, okay. You might remember we asked people to tell us a couple of weeks ago about Cockney rhyming slang. Oh. Did we get After responses? We on Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yes. Um, at Susie Hula, Susan Holt uh, talked about how her first exposure was Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. And I haven't looked it up. I can't remember specifically what he uses, but I can I can absolutely see it, his sort of take on the Cockney accent. All right, Governor, let's go and yeah. have a, hey, Mary, up your windpipe, whatever. Okay. Um, but we had a, a really good one from Jan at JLMO. Um, I can't remember my first exposure, but I didn't really get it until someone explained to me that it, someone explained that giving someone a raspberry was rhyming slang. So you know when you blow a raspberry? Yes. <laughs> yes. Just in case you weren't sure, it's called a raspberry. It is called a raspberry. And, and the slang is a raspberry tart for a fart. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's called a raspberry. Because of that. Because tart rhymes with fart. And so you say raspberry tart, because presumably they sold raspberry tarts a lot in the East End of London. All right. So that's what So when you make a a noise like you are, are passing wind with your <laughs> tongue between your lips, then you call it a raspberry. Wow. I did not know that. Like, I am, like, being yeah, educated here live on the podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. It's... Thank you so much, guys. And, and you know, I, I, lo- I have noticed them in a couple of places, just people using it as part of normal language. See, I don't even think I would know because, like, in that instance, it's been shortened mm. to just raspberry, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I would just assume that's just what it's called and I would have no idea where it came from. And I think it normally does get shortened eventually, but you start off with Ruby Murray for curry and then eventually you just call it a ruby, <laughs> for instance. And I think I talked about, you know, a, a Scooby-Doo for a clue. And you, then you say, I haven't got a Scooby. Mm. And so it's sort of two steps removed from. Love it. Interesting. I also meant to talk to you. I've completely forgotten, just if we're reading out messages. I, um, you know, when we've talked Star Trek mm-hmm. and I have made reference to my friend Chris. Mm-hmm. Just really tangentially, Chris. Chris is pretty much my oldest friend. We first met because I used to have to stay late after school because uh, my dad worked at the school. And I was sat in the computer lab one day and I saw this guy writing some code that would draw Spock's face on a computer screen. Ooh. And I started talking to him because he was a dude like Star Trek. And that's my friend Chris. Okay. So we met like age 11, something like that. And, you know, we have grown up going to pretty much every Star Trek movie that has come out since. Mm-hmm. Chances are we saw Insurrection together, for instance. Okay. 
you have talked about loving the next-gen theme. Mm-hmm. And that when the next gen theme comes on, it's it's a big deal for you. Mm-hmm. And I was listening out for it in this one, and I was really fascinated listening to it because I could hear it was different. It was the same theme, but musically different. It was orchestrated in a different way, mm-hmm. and I am not musical enough, musically educated enough t- to understand why. So I sent him links to it. I'm like, right, I'm watching this now, and it's different. I need you to help me understand, explain as you would to a child. <laughs> How is this thing different? Okay. And he actually came back with three very good points I, I completely liked. One, one is about the recording. The way they've recorded is different. So there's um, a more distant sound to the film, which makes it more, sound more epic and so on. Mm-hmm. There is significantly more p- percussion. The next-gen theme has almost none. But in this, there's tartans, gongs, snare rolls, and tuned blocks. He says it's much more like the motion picture original version and and that's that's really interesting because i was listening to it going this is the cinematic version of it mm-hmm. and i think it's that that makes it sound cinematic because that's the one that they use in the films but particularly because i said to him i think it's the brass i think there's something the brass is doing which might be quieter which might be louder which might be different instruments it might be something <laughs> something's happening with the brass that is different okay. and he said right the brass is raspier it's being played louder, and they're emphasising the swells more. Sforzando, apparently, which is which is much more common in modern cinema. Things like Dark Knight, but was popularised by Wagner. Just for full disclosure, Chris is a lecturer in music at university. Right, right. He, this is why he was the one to go to, and it's, it is really interesting because yeah, what they were doing when when it gets into the bar, ba 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 ba. And, and the brass starts coming in and doing like really big notes towards the end of it. It starts much softer, but really goes for mm-hmm. the crescendo, really big. It's like, yes, that's exactly what they're doing with that language. Yes, I can understand yeah. that they are checks notes, emphasising the swells more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just equated it with being bigger because it's on a bigger screen, right? Everything on mm. in movies is just bigger and richer, and and so that's why I, I assumed it was different because it was still yeah. very recognizable and it still had mm-hmm. the the like the triangle dings to start with <laughs> um but i'm glad you asked for clarification to kind of get those points out because those are great interesting because mm. it, it it was just you know there's times when the music does something different than you expected to i'm like well it's different i don't know why it's different mm-hmm. but i know it's different yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Good. I completely forgot to mention that early one. Okay. Right. What's next? We are doing what well, we just we just figured this out. Why don't I remember? A lifeless ordinary. A lifeless ordinary. All right. A movie I <laughs> yes, had never heard of. We are changing changing gears into a rom com. The not sure the movie poster about. absolutely makes it look like a rom com. I don't know what it's about, but I've seen the cover with Ewan McGregor okay. and Cameron Diaz, and it mm-hmm. just makes me think it's a rom com. But okay. something tells me it's not because you suggested it. <laughs> it's like there's a twist or like a darkness Amazing. or something. I just don't right. know what yet. Right, I own this one. You own it. I own it. I own it. To tell you how old this is, it's one of those crystal DVD cases. Oh, wow. That's the, the like, proper, you know, nice plastic moulded around everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old DVD. So you like this movie? I do like this movie. Okay. I haven't seen it in a very long time, which is one of the reasons why I suggested it, because I saw it on my DVD shop. I'm like, 
Well, I must like it. I have no idea how it holds up. Okay. Let's, let's check it out. All right. But also knowing, you know, your sort of film, so. We'll see. Could be an interesting one. Right. What would we like to hear from people? I don't know. Something to do with Star Trek. Tell us what we should. So, so we've just watched a disappointing Star Trek film. And I'm afraid I'm going to set up the expectations for Nemesis. We're going to watch another disappointing Star Trek film. In our enjoyment of Star Trek, because Star Trek is great and we love Star Trek, what should we go and watch to to cleanse the palate from insurrection? And then when, when we watch Nemesis to cleanse the palate from Nemesis, what Star Trek should we go and watch? Is it a film? Is it an episode? Is it some video online? You know, we're a bit too far off Christmas to go and watch the simply having a wonderful Deep Space Nine. Mm. <laughs> or make it so, make it so, make it so. <laughs> But YouTube videos are always welcome as well. What should, what Star Trek thing do people think is like, that is a good Star Trek thing that will make you like Star Trek again. All right. That's what people should suggest. Speaking of Star Trek, have you watched any of the Below Decks? The Below Decks? Isn't that Lower Decks? Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Below or whatever. I haven't watched any yet, but I've seen a lot of people talking about it. Mm, it's, I haven't seen anyone talking about it because I've muted it. Oh, and I'm okay. being very public here that I've muted it. I don't want to know anything. It's Star Trek. Okay, so, so you will it, watch it eventually. Once it's, once it's out over here, of course I'll watch it. Absolutely, I will jump on Oh, it. it's not out for you guys. No. Okay. No, and I'm not very impressed. In the same way, the short treks are not out for us. We can't get them. Really? They're all on Amazon Prime for me. Oh, well. <laughs> I sat down and watched them all before season two started of discovery is fantastic is everyone about to go like oh matthew watch lower decks it's great it's the best palette cleanser (laughs) no but i was just thinking about it like because it's it's a new thing and i haven't watched any of it yet so no i'm looking forward to that i'm looking forward to is it prodigy what's the new they're they're doing an actual kids show not just animated but an actual kids star trek i didn't uh, know that star trek prodigy or something yeah i'm looking forward to that okay I'm looking forward to Discovery Season 3 coming back. All right. Awesome. Well, if you would like to tell us which Star Trek we should watch to get Insurrection out of our mouths, please tell us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter when I'm not watching mediocre Star Trek movies at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. You can find me tweeting at Matthew Vose. I'm not tweeting at Matthew Vose. I'm, I'm, my Twitter handle is at Matthew Vose. I'm, I said that the wrong way. It's very late. <laughs> Popculture Deprived is 100% funded by lovely listeners through Patreon. We give access to exclusive content, bonus shows, early access to things. We take your money and turn it into amazing podcasts like this that you love very much. And you want to help support us. And you can find out more to help support us by going to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about possible rom-com, A Life Less Ordinary. Until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And I don't know how they do it on Deep Space Nine, but on the Enterprise, we still report for duty on time. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.